Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. With mixed market bet builders, in-play betting and a selection of welcome offers, make sure your Premier League is spent with BetVictor's premier betting app. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Fellow Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day podcast, we are delighted to present our Christmas gift to you this year. Here with us today is an individual who made 103 Chelsea appearances, scoring 15 goals. He was part of the Chelsea side that won the second division championship in 1984. Plus, he is an award-winning autobiography out called Black and Blue. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Paul Canneville. Paul, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And thank you for having me, Keith. Uh, pleasure to be on. Pleasure is all ours, Paul. I just want to start the podcast as I've done throughout the year with the previous interviews that I've done and just sort of ask yourself, when it came to becoming a professional footballer, did you have any influences in your life that helped you choose that path? Um, ooh, good question. Influences would be, would be, I would have said my second mother and my sister. Um, don't get me wrong. As a young, young boy, um, coming from a single parent, because my mum and dad separated at the age of two, um, difficult, um, for any mother, any woman bringing up two kids on their own. So by the age of five, um, I was into sports, I was into football, and at five years old, I, I knew that's what I wanted to be with a professional footballer. And um, yeah, I think after, well, getting myself in trouble at the age of 14, 15, and having to go to Bristol, um, when I came out, it was the, the most important thing was to, yeah, take my football very seriously. And that's where the push from my, my um, aunt, like Stephanie, and um, my sister, June, that um, made me, yeah, pursue. And then when it came to watching football and sort of being a big fan of it, did you have any idols growing up as a kid? Yeah, at the time, um, when going to secondary school, the um, idol was Pele. Um, very much Pele at the time watching mm. Brazil. And it was like every time I returned back from school um, to ask my mum if it was all right to go to the park and I just took my ball and just practice, practice, practice. And whether it was on my own or whether I joined other kids, you know what I mean? Never play a game of you. That was it generally. I realized what Paddy did and that's what I did. Really. Now let's fast forward from that point in your life to 1981, which incredibly 40 years ago, this month actually, in December of 1981, you signed for Chelsea from Hingdon Borough. How did this move come about for you? At that time, I was playing at Hingdon Borough Southern League Football. 
more or less grass, grassroots, really, and young lad who's now blossoming and um, going to various clubs for trial. Um, that Chelsea came along, and I went for for the whole that week there. It's funny enough, nobody, you know what I mean, said nothing to me. So I returned back to um, Hidden Borough, which I did from the other club. Um, I think it was um, Ron Stewart, I think, was the scout then at that time. And um, he invited me back again and told me, look, no, we're interested in you. So I think that, that week there, second week, and Friday called in to the manager who was John Neal at the time. Um, signed me for the remaining season. I think it was seven months left to get a further three-year contract after that. So um, it went well. Don't get me wrong. First, don't get me wrong. It was nervous as I was a young lad, but um, soon to yeah come through those ranks. Um, encouragement from the teammates, the boys that were there, and I get me wrong. I think I was more of a support to the. Um, youth team, to be honest. Um, players like Keith Dublin, uh, Keith Jones, and all those young lads that were coming through as well. Um, never forget those days, because it was, yeah, those were great days, great years. Um, coming up with the likes of um, Nicky Fillory, Tony Paint, Peter Rose Brown, um, Gary Locke, yeah, even Mickey Joy, you know what I mean? So, I believe those fans of today would recognise those players. I mean, it was a great era, um, the early 80s, to be honest, really good time. And what was your first impression of the club when you signed and you was going to training for the first time and seeing your new teammates? Yeah, that's funny, because um, I didn't know the history of Chelsea, obviously. Um, and um, for me, I think the achievement was to be in that, obviously, that professional footballer now is going to be different than playing part-time. I mean, part-time, you'll only train twice a week. That was Tuesday and Thursday. Now, training professionally, you're training every day. So it was from 10 o'clock to 12. And for me, a young lad that was enthusiastic and just wanted to play football, I would love it. You know what I mean? And obviously, what was around me, like, the time I, I didn't have to carry my training kit with me bad because the training kit was there. The only thing that I needed to carry was my soap <laughs> and me wash rag, you know what I mean? And you had your boots there that were polished, you had your, your gear that was cleaned every day. I mean, what better than that as being a professional footballer itself? So, yeah. Now, I want to discuss your debut. It was against Crystal Palace in April of 1982. When did you know that you was going to be in the match day squad? And do you remember much about this day? Um, I remember it well, but didn't know until that day when I was in the squad. I was told um, by John Neal, yep, the number 12. And it was like, wow, you know what I mean? It's obviously excitement, uh, preparations and finding family members, to be honest, um, to letting them know you come down, you've got to support me, and you've got to be there, fully simple as that. Um, that was great in itself. I'm so, so happy. Um, but yeah, um, it was news, and such a late news that for me, because 
at that time I was playing in reserves and doing very really really well in reserve comfortable being game man in a match and so forth that yeah that came about obviously um but yeah I'll never forget it um obviously being in changing the lads you know what I mean getting their support and coming outside warming up but yeah I think which everybody knows that story I've kind of talked about it how many repeatedly hmm. that it was a shock um to re receive that kind of well racial support that was coming from a majority of the fans um when I say no I can't say majority of the fans particularly but um those untasteful hmm. fans at that time you know what I mean it was a i was a shock it's not that about it it's not whole punches it was a very big shock to me um cuz there i was now playing for a team as far as i'm concerned I expected to get support no matter who i was or what color i was um so that in itself really hit home um and weird i was so bubbly confident excited or just left my body to be honest and um I didn't want to get on I didn't want to go on manager obviously is making a decision come on get stripped and really I paid no mind well by saying that I just got stripped and hugged the line for the remaining minutes of the game mm. and was glad for it the referee blows whistle to be honest yeah just just a couple of things on that because this this was the game it was on your debut that you did receive racial abuse not just from supporters but it was from chelsea supporters you know the ones that watch chelsea every week and you were playing for the club in itself but just just it was just a couple of questions that i had for you paul did it get to a stage where whether it was this particular game or subsequently afterwards that you wanted to confront these individuals maybe not in in terms of a physical retaliation but more of asking the question why you know why are you doing this and especially the fact that you were playing for the club that they allegedly supported and did the other other thing i wanted to ask was obviously what happened against crystal palace on your debut how long did it take for you mentally to have it sort of in your system whereby this has happened now what have i got to do to mm. react to i understand it? what you're saying there Keith. it was don't get me wrong um i've grown up in middlesex and south hall where particularly it was an asians and black people that usually well were living in there um i received a lot of racism um and that was from national front skinhead and it was quite particular that they would drive by and maybe saw two couple of black lads walking that they would come out of the car and chase them and beat them you know so that wasn't you know what i mean i've seen all that but it's, well it's, for those I, that was just you know what i mean here and there that i just was accustomed to it but i just didn't expect to see or hear that at a professional standard or state really coming up to playing for 
for a club um, professionally, I thought, well, that, that should be left behind. You know what I mean? You, I shouldn't have been hearing that at the sideline, at a game like that. I just didn't expect it. It was a shock. So um, for me, I would say because I was a young lad, obviously, I was scared. So it wasn't about trying to talk to them and don't get me wrong, yes, because I faced such and such behaviour, it more or less first instinct could have been retaliation. And um, But as you said, you know what I mean, you're young now, you're not thinking that. And at the same time, if I was to do that, that approach, how would Chelsea have seen me? Mm. And that was the thought. If I did that, then hold on, Chelsea would have thrown me out. You know what I mean? So it wasn't a case of going through that. Right now, I've gone through enough to get here. You know, now I'm here. I've taken of a dream, being a professional footballer, wasn't about to, you know, let it slip away or taken away from me. Um, so those thoughts of talking to them, no, I think I'm probably too scared and probably too scared to report it. Um, mentally, yes, I've got to say it did affect because I, it, the thoughts every time was, yeah, what have I got to do to um, get their support and, and on my side and to let them know that I am playing for you, your team? Um, it was difficult every time I went away. What, what can I do better? And I've said this so many times, it was quite that I had to play twice as well, not twice as well as my teammates just to get the support, you know what I mean? The support, really, from the, the fans. What was the reaction of your teammates at this point? Were they, because this must have been a shock to their system as well, because they obviously haven't seen anything like this in terms of their own supporters racially abusing one of their sort of players. Mm. Did they speak to you about it? Did they want to sort of, you know, find out if things were okay with you? Did they want to sort of talk to you about it? What was their sort of re reaction to it? I found it a bit, hmm, very difficult. Because if I remember it, uh, nobody really came up to me and asked right. me if I was all right. The club didn't. Nobody asked oh, for at all. Nah, nobody at that time. You know what I mean... Oh, wow. I don't know if it was confused for them or difficult, but nobody um, asked how I was getting on, how I was feeling at all. Um, don't get me wrong that. I'm not saying anything about that, but that was Mr. Bates' error. I believe he didn't want anybody to discuss about it, to even talk about it, to be honest. I don't know why. But, yeah, that's how it was at the moment. And I think the only time when we played, obviously, Crystal Palace again, I was receiving it, the same racial abuse, but we had the few, the new players that came in at the time, and one of those players was Pat Nevin, and I believe we won that game, Pat scored the winning goal, um, but he outspokenly didn't stand for it, and in an interview they wanted after the game, he spoke about it, and you know what I mean? upset about the racism I was receiving of their own player was disgusting. Hmm. And this is the player that just come in, after, you know what I mean, two seasons now and outspoken about what I was receiving. And, it, it, you know what I mean, that was the kind of support that I saw coming from this individual. 
And you know what I mean? It was it was a blessing because it took some pressure off me. It certainly did, and I appreciated it from Pat. You know what I mean? And even though I think he got some trouble from it from the man above, um, Mr. Bates, about his um, outbursts, um, it really did for me. Uh, gave me great, great support. Well, he he was being a teammate, really, wasn't he? So... Mm. Well, yeah, it was all, but you know what I mean. But mm. I don't know individually at that time how difficult it was. I mean, don't get me wrong; you'd appreciate teammates coming in for what are you doing? Don't worry, don't listen to it. You know what I mean? We're here for you, whatever. But at that time, I didn't receive that. Um, you know, a young boy, it would be nice. Don't get me wrong a black lad like myself, but I had to get on with it. And that was the, you know I mean, mental behaviour that I had to soak in, really. You mentioned Chelsea didn't react to it immediately and they didn't sort of react to it after the fact. Did you have any conversations with the Football Association about this topic? And did they give, if if you did, did they give you any reassurances of how this matter would be dealt with? We never had no discussion. That's what I'm saying. Um, you've got to understand Football League didn't get involved and such. And we didn't have any organisations like we do now, kick it out and hmm. show the red card. Um, so you can imagine a young black lad or many black lads that were coming through had to go by it himself. You know what I mean? We had to dig in and um, stroke, take all that. And um, and get on with it. Yeah, for that sake, don't get me wrong. If you're thinking like what Eric Cantona done <laughs> in amongst yes. one of the crowd, probably I could would have liked to have done that. Don't get me wrong, but I said again how I would have been received and taken. Would be another thing would would I've got that suspension from the football club on FA or or the club itself. That's, that was the difference, and I had to very much hold myself um, back from doing such and such an action. Yeah. Did sort of the tag of being the first black footballer to play for Chelsea, yeah. did mentally, did that put extra pressure on you to succeed at Chelsea? Was you a little bit concerned that if things weren't to go right, that it was there any sort of extra pressure on you to succeed because of that particular tag? Oh, no, look, no pressure. Don't get me wrong. Um, I didn't see it because, I, as I said, I didn't know the history. I didn't know I was the first black player um, to break through into the first thing. I, I think there was a black keeper there, but didn't break too much well into the first thing. So I didn't think anything of it. Don't get me wrong. Young black lads coming through the rank. Not even say the ranks because I came in when I was 19. Um, and I saw the other individuals, black youngsters in the game um, at Chelsea, who were the youth youth team were doing so well. Um, so much talent, Stokely in Brave Way, as I said, Keith Dublin, Keith Jones, Perry. There were so many young black players of talent that were coming through. I thought that could have had, you know what I mean, the chance. But I came along and given that chance and took it, didn't think nothing of it. Um, you know what I mean? So the history, obviously, I wasn't aware of. And um, taking this abuse, obviously, for at least three years, home and away, it was a case of just buckling up 
buckling in and digging in and trying not to let it get to me, which was difficult at times. But as I said, um, I think the strong will of myself, determination probably, um, that this is where I wanted to be, this is what I wanted to be as a professional footballer, that I just dug in um, and I got on with it. Let's resume talking about the football. The 82-83 season was a particularly weird one for Chelsea because they were nearly relegated to the third division, as it was. You did score your first goals for the club against Carlisle. What are your memories of this particular game? don't know. You I don't really remember? Can't remember that. No, I can't remember that, that game. Um, the only important game, if I remember, we got third from the bottom and had to really... Um, in our remaining games, to be honest, to stay in the Bolt, league. Bolton away with Clive Walker scoring. Yeah, done that. Yeah. I think I scored against Fulham, where that London derby was 1-0. That's right, um, yeah. I think that, and the volley, and then scoring um, up there is it against Swansea. Got a hat-trick. So yes, got, that was later on. Particular right. goals, yeah. I have yeah. not no recollection of goals I've scored, to be honest. <laughs> I think ex-team mates of mine keep letting me reminding me of which goals I scored and which games I, I played to be honest uh, yeah well, recollect. There, there is one in particular that I would like to talk about later on but with the win against Bolton in 83 a game that if Chelsea didn't win they would have ended up being relegated mm. looking back now how significant just describe to the listeners that may not be aware how significant was that for Chelsea not to get relegated again to the third division, bearing in mind, was, um, very important game. Chelsea weren't great. No, well, obviously was. not. Uh, of course, it wasn't um, at that time. Um, but it's, this is something obviously a player didn't know about what was the background of what was going on with the club. We were just focusing on the football and on the pitch and getting the results. And it just happened that we need to win this game to stay in Division 2. Um, in a tough game it was. I mean, those pitches were definitely very heavy, uh, very hard, so compared to the pitches of today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and Clive scored that winning goal against Bolton. It was a tough goal, but it was great to have those fans, those original, uh, I mean, fans that came away with a snow, rain, you know, I mean, sun, they were there. Um, that alone, I think, gave um, our team much, much support that was needed at a time that was a difficult time um, for us. But yeah, um, yeah, to know that we stayed in the league uh, for the next fight, you know, what I mean, for the next season, and from that season, really, after that, that. You've got to say, Mr. John Neal brought in a flux of players that, you know what I mean, we went on to win that uh, second division that following season um, to get promoted to the first. So, you know what I mean, something obviously aligned at that, that time. Why I say, yeah, it's a great era, a great era to play for me, it was, definitely. What was John Neal like as a coach for you? A gentleman. Um, a real gentleman and somebody that I, th- I believe in and I'm right to say this that everybody wanted to play for every teammate wanted to play for him 
um, position wise, he'll tell you straight, straight what he want you to do and what you could do, and he allows you to play, get on with it. Um, and that's what I think every teammate minds, yeah, appreciated. Um, once we put on that shirt and you was on that pitch, yeah, we, we was all firing. We was on all cylinders, every one of us. I mean, even when those players came along, we all gelled right away. Um, as you can see, for, I think first game, see, that um, Kerry picked up three goals. I don't know what, who we played at that time, but it was, yeah, it was unbelievable. It couldn't stop us, to be honest. And for you personally, you was in good form. You scored in back-to-back -back games at around the start of the season. With Chelsea doing well and your form picking up to the point where you were being picked on a consistent basis, was you at this stage, bearing in mind what happened a couple of years before, was you happy with your football at this stage? And was this perhaps the point where whatever was going to happen in the terraces, this would be, you know, the oh. being better for it. I was always happy with my football, don't get me wrong. Um, being a sub if I came on and made a difference, or obviously would love to start again. Um, confident in myself, yes. Mm. Um, for playing in the team was great, don't get me wrong, because we do one... Uh, as one, um, as no as far as I'm concerned, individual. We knew what job we had to do. Uh, if I'm playing, well, obviously I played left wing, they call it left mid midfielder, whatever. But my ball was to get the ball into the box for the likes of Kerry, likes of Speedy and, and so forth. The same went for Pep. And then we could obviously exchange wings and so forth. And yeah, enjoyed our football. Don't get me wrong. It was yeah, we did a job, and that was the main thing. Don't get me wrong. As well as attack, we could defend and help our, our midfields and defenders. So um, it was a job that we yeah appreciated definitely. And you mentioned briefly before your hat trick against Swansea. Yeah. Was this one of the best games you played with for Chelsea? No, not I would say one of the best games, but obviously uh, an achievement. Um, to score three goals, um, game home game as well against Swansea. I think the likes of two Chelsea players, ex players, were playing in that game for Swansea. I think Gary Stanley and um, Gary Chivers might be playing for Swansea at the time. But um, yeah, having that and don't get me wrong, I, I didn't realise. There are many times when I was at school, I used to score hat-tricks, but never to receive the match ball. I was shocked, but I didn't know that's what they gave. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the referee, when he gave it to me, I, was, I couldn't understand why he was giving me the ball. And to the lad, Simon Pooley, that's what happens when you score a hat-trick. I was like, ah. So I was thinking, what do I do with this ball? And it was a case of, um, Paul, let Swansea sign it, and then we'll sign it. And that's, you know what I mean? Legendary, as you say. Um, I took it home and gave it to my mum and put it in the cabinet. That was it, yeah. Nice story. I like that. Mm. Chelsea achieved promotion at the end of that season. 
you've briefly touched on a couple of players like Kerry Dixon and Pat Nevin, how effective they were for the side. Overall, how good was that team that went up to the first division? That team was real good, man. Um, Joe McLaughlin, Jerry Jones, Mickey Thomas, Pacey, midfield Nigel, worked horse, um, myself, um, Pat, Kerry, there, Speed. Um, yeah, four cinders, as I said before, was on fire. Um, most definitely in the attack, we looked like scoring. Uh, means, uh, and the boys are solid at the back. We really appreciated the boys at the back, to be honest. But like, um, yeah, from those games there, we looked like we should win any game. And that promotional season, it was a, yeah, first time. It was just, you could, I think you felt it after maybe six games that, yeah, this is the team now. It, it's strong enough to go all the way. Um, and we did. Um, until even that last game, home game, that we played Leeds United, um, which we beat them 5-0. 5-0, that's right, yeah. I came on and scored. I mean, from that, that was it. Um, I think from then, after that season there, I think after a few weeks, realising that um, our first game in the Premier no, South Premiership, Division 1, should I say, about Premiership, that we are playing Arsenal. And that lane, I think, kind of made, well, I certainly was excited. And something that I wanted to be involved in, that game, first game of the season. So, um, yeah, I think it was, it was great, don't get me wrong. How would we have coped now? Obviously, in Division 2, how did we cope between playing in Division 1? against the likes of Liverpool, the, the likes of the Arsenal. And, and that was the test. The first game of the season against Arsenal was a test. And I think we came through well and done really pretty well for that. So. Well, Kerry scored in the clock end, which is quite still a, it's still an iconic goal that people still talk about to this day. The amount of Chelsea yeah. fans that were behind that goal mm. when Dixon struck the ball and he's running off to celebrate the goal. Do you remember much about that game? And as you say, you know, the fact that Chelsea went back up to the first division and their first game is against Arsenal. Again, you know, you look at the sides back then, you know, Arsenal, United, Liverpool, to have one of them a first home game, oh, sorry, first game of the season, excuse me, is a, as you say, real test of character on how far you guys have come and how far probably you would go for that season? Yeah, it was, um, you know I mean, a test, as I said before. Um, for us, a big, very big game. Um, you had, like, quite a few England players in that team, the Arsenal group, who represented us. Um, Arsenal, like Kenny Sampson, Paul Mariner, um, Viv Anderson, um, even... Pat Jennings, what a keeper he was, you know, with violence. They had a team. But um, I think to know that we, or was it that, yeah, in that week, I think it was by Thursday, that I realised I was in the team. 
um, was a kind of not a nightmare for me, but <laughs> I didn't sleep too well for the remaining days till Saturday because I knew I was playing against Viv Anderson, who was then at the time England's right back. Um, I was thinking, well, how am I going to detain this guy? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, I was thinking, you know, what it is, I don't know how, as a player, you, you can dream of games of how it would be played out before and um, how I was doing, whether I was, you know, up for it, whether I could defend him, whether I could attack him. And obviously I had, um, oh God, who was there? I had Doug Woodby, was our left back at the right. time. So I had to help him out as much. I wouldn't say Doug <laughs> wasn't frightened for a tackle, but he wasn't the quickest on the end the run. So, but um, I played Phil. Um, and yeah, I think I, I've done pretty well to make my mark against Viv. Uh, and I gave him some trouble. So I think, yeah, the result it stood well. I went all, yeah, went down very well, to be honest, because I think I lived at Hackney at the time, moved down to there. So the majority of my friends were pure Arsenal fans. Um, before the game, they were going to say, yeah, Paul, we're going to show you where, how it really is. Um, but after the results one all, they came up to me with enough respect and said, yeah, your boys deserve that. Well done. So um, I think we've done well. Yeah, appreciate it. Now, one game this particular season that I would like to talk to you about is the League Cup tie against Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough. Now, before we sort of discuss the match, I just wanted to sort of touch briefly on perhaps what was going on in your life and in regards to what was being said at the terraces was at this stage <coughs> of your Chelsea career was you still getting the amount of racial abuse that you that you received when you first came to Chelsea was the levels deteriorating a little bit or was it still a constant irritation even by Chelsea supporters and secondly, in regards to the match itself, you scored two in that game and people still talk about this this particular moment. Just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on the game itself as well. Um, you know, so I'm probably trying to... weren't distracted so much by it anymore. Um, I just got on with it. I think mainly at home you, you hear the, the abuse strongly than compared to when you played away. Um, as important as that game was, I think two of the most um, strongest sides that was in the second division at that time, Sheffield Wednesday and ourselves, who were looking you know what I mean, for promotion. Um, there was always a battle, always a good game against each other. That, um, yeah, once again, I was told I was sub. So it was a case of, you know what I mean, being prepared. Um, for me, that day, I was kind of meeting my dad for the first time. Obviously, I said, when we separated the mum. And dad separated when I was two, so I was meeting him for the first time at tw well, 21, 22 years old. So that was really nervous for me, because that's what was going through my mind at the time, sitting down on the bench, what am I going to tell him, what am I going to ask him? Um, Seeing how the goals were going through, don't get me wrong, like I saw one nil down, I thought, yeah, we can get that back. 
Yeah, that's where we was 2 0 down. I thought we could still, still get that back. But when I saw it's 3 0, I thought, you know what? We're out of this. You know what I mean? That was it. Simple as. Um, how do you expect to get three goals against a formidable type side like Sheffield Wednesday who were tough? I mean, three goals was enough, and that was just the first half. Um, second half, straight away, John Neal, I think was done. Yeah, get stripped, you're going on straight away. Um, I think Colin Lee came off there, Jasper moved back from midfield, and it was like, wow. First instinct, I mean, the ball went back to Joey Jones, I believe, who was there. And I just followed through, I think, Kerry and then Speedy and then got beyond the center half and hit it first time with their foot to the right of the keeper. That, yeah, 11 seconds, um, 3 1. And from then, it just every attack looked like we could score, and we did. Was it Mickey Thomas? Then it was Kerry. And yeah, getting that pass, thinking it might be in the winner. I got the fourth um, to no prevail, uh, that they got a penalty. And it, the game that ended up 4 even though after that extra time. But um, I think I wasn't even thinking about the game so much. It was thinking of meeting my dad for the first time. And um, that he actually seen me play, because I think none of my parents had seen me play football at all, not even when I was playing school days. So to see him and obviously how the game went and me scoring two goals was a great, great achievement um, for any young lad, you know what I mean, in front of you, yeah, yeah, your parents. So, um, yeah, conversation with, yeah, Swift, Newsy, that we're now talking even more now to this very day. But, um, yeah, I think generally after that, the support from the charity fans improved. And that was the majority of all of them, really, don't get me wrong. I've got to say, the real support of that, you know what I mean, that showed me, well, it's not all of us are like that. And that really was a, a great support for me because I met those. And by the gates, the big gates down um, the east side, yeah, at Sanford Bridge, it was nice to meet <laughs> outside and, talking with them uh, just keep your head in there you know I mean that pull uh, as such but yeah that game kind of changed it and I think the following game we played at home to actually start hearing them sing my name was yeah was yeah a joy to, to hear don't get me wrong because uh, it was like any time you heard my name when I came out sub full canopy was booed and it was like oh please but yeah, to hear your name now being sang on the pitch while you're playing, come on, man. That in itself, you don't know. Yeah. Heartwarming. You must have felt vindicated then with the, all the hard work you put in, even before you signed for Chelsea. Getting to that stage where you're playing professional football and then dealing with what you had to go through at the early stages of your Chelsea career. To then, as you say, you scored two goals against Sheffield Wednesday in a game that looked Chelsea were dead and buried. Chelsea fans are starting to sing your name, give you the praise that you rightfully deserved at the point because you were playing some good football for Chelsea as well. And this, this must have did this feel a little bit like closure to you in regards to the naysayers and the a lot of 
a negativity that was hanging around at that time? Nah, didn't nothing like that. Nah, just um, just getting on with it. Um, what we achieved as a team together, and for me, it was you know what I mean, continuing just buckling in and playing to my strengths. Um, that's all I could do, um, and re- really showing them what I was about. That's all it was, really. Then, it, yeah, it took its time. Don't get me wrong; everybody knew. And to this day, um, you know, you get people that fans that come around and apologise. I respect that. Don't get me wrong; it was a tough time. That's how it was. And it's not just in football; it was society itself. That's been running like this with racism, you know what I mean? You've got to understand how we're all, we're all human. Um, no matter where you're coming from, where you're born, come on, man, you're playing for your team, support your team and support the players that are playing in that team. Um, yeah, it's still a long road to go, but I can only talk about what Chelsea do um, in regards to that and our fans that are now stepping up to the mark because they are important to the club and, and what they do about it, you know what I mean? You just don't want this racism in amongst your fans. You don't want racism in, in our club at all. Um, so they are important to us now and have a lot to say about it. So I'm, I'm glad to be there involved and seeing what they're doing as well. It was a few months after this particular game that you weren't starting for Chelsea much at, at this point. John Hollins took over from John Neal after 85-86. Was there any conversations that you had with John about your future? And again, sort of spoke about John Neal as a coach. What was John Hollins like to you? Um, don't get me wrong. I think embarking on management from playing days is two different things. As a player, John respected Hollins, um, a good player. Management, find it was difficult. Um, Backroom staff had a, an assistant that really probably didn't get on with, I don't remember his name. Um, and I thought, yeah, I deserve to be playing, but they brought in the next player. Um, and I thought my work rate compared to him was a lot more better, but they chose him. So I think, yep, I did have a little attitude, which is wrong. But if you don't say nothing, you know what I mean? You just, you'd be ignored and just left out. I thought I deserved to play more. They didn't think so. And it was like, oh yeah, I gave some attitude. And probably from that, I wouldn't say that how I left, uh, it was a situation um, at pre-season that we had with um, the assistant and I didn't like what he'd done and kind of addressed it in a way where I kind of took the mickey. Um, he didn't like it and I told him why I did it. And an incident happened in the evening with one player that racially abused me. Didn't like it. Knocked him out. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it should have been sent, well, from the, we returned back 
to London from that pre-season in Wales that we should have been discussed. Didn't give it, well, didn't, wasn't even given the chance to discuss it. I was just given a phone call not to return to the ground or the training ground. And that was it, given the elbow. And everybody, if I'm not known, from clear to say, my teammates all thought that that individual would be kicked out for racist abuse, but wasn't. I was kicked out. They couldn't understand it. Didn't even get to say bye. It was upsetting. Really was. Um, but didn't say nothing. A youngster who just wanted to play football, didn't want to, you know what I mean, make any noise. Just get on with it. Um, and that's how I ended, um, leaving Chelsea and um, trying to pursue, you know what I mean, my career somewhere else. But yeah, um, it was a difficult time, that period. It was really difficult for me. Just a couple of things that you that you mentioned there. The Was the player in question that you uh, weren't happy with was a Jerry Murphy? Yes. That was your right. Okay. It was it was a player. Don't get me wrong. No disrespect to Jerry. He had a lovely effort, but I know my work rate was a lot more better with him. But it was a favourite of um, God. What was his assistant's name? Ernie, I think it was. That was the assistant to um, John Holland at John that Holland. time. Yeah. That you know, what I mean, coming from Crystal Palace, he favoured him then instead of me. Right. Um, okay. I thought, nah, that wasn't good enough. So, I would like to discuss your departure now. You said that um, there were a few reasons for you leaving Chelsea that you've mentioned mm. just just now. You went to join Reading in 1986. Yep. Was it your choice to join Reading, or was it the club's choice because of how much money Reading put up for you? Did you perhaps maybe try to maybe speak to the club about? trying to stay at Chelsea, what was going through your mind at this stage and what was happening in the career of Paul Canneville at this, at this um, point? Nothing, really. It was um, a case of clubs that were coming in, phoning my phone. Went down in Brentford. There were little trials in there. When I tried, they were in the third division. I just wanted to play football. Hmm. And Frank McClintock was the manager at the time and about to discuss, you know what I mean, the deal. And it was a time when Reading just phoned me out of the blue while I stood at the Griffin Road. And he came um, and picked me up. It was the manager then. It was a terrible memory. Um, but he came and picked me up from Brentford, took me home to his house, stayed there the evening. And the train for Reading, and once again, they wanted to sign me right away and negotiate in my you know, my, my contract and so forth. So it wasn't anybody that chose the team. It was me that chose the team. And they got promotion in Division 3, Division 2. Like Kerry Dirksen had come from Reading as well, playing from Reading that made him come to Chelsea. So, um, yeah, don't get me wrong. Community was great. The lads were great. It was just fresh and breath air. I mean, I believe from total right that Man U had come in with an offer of five mil for me, but there was no way you could see Chelsea selling me to Man U. Um, one of their arch enemies, you know what I mean, at, at that time. But yeah, I just wanted to play football and I signed for um, Reading at that time. 
just to get on with it. Now, before we discuss a current events, I just want to mention your autobiography that was out around 2008, uh, if, if I'm right in saying. It yeah. was called, called Black and Blue, a book that has won awards and has been recognised by people within the football industry. For you personally, though, what was the reasoning behind writing the book? Um, it wasn't really. Uh, God. Rick Glanville approached me, and he's the historian at Chelsea at the time. He still is. And I would think about 2004, I just kind of um, got back um, and connected with the Chelsea, obviously, having my, my times, my up and down um, after the game, after retiring. But um, it was a case of um, starting off working in the foundation, the Chelsea Foundation, and going into schools and asked to talk to some kids about my career and so forth. And I was thinking, but wait, these kids weren't even born. How are they supposed to recognize me in my playing days? <laughs> not understanding that, um, well, I'm not, um, what do you call it, internet literature. Is that the word we use? Literature. Anyway, I'll find it. Um, with regards to, they had Wikipedia. And I, I was like, what's Wikipedia? And found out that all these details about me was like, wow, kids are doing Mr. Mr. Cannibal on Wikipedia. I said, what? And, you know, and, you know, it started off really like, wow, I'm nervous here. But I started to open up and share my story in a colourful way. Don't get me wrong, how important your education is, how it is for racism and bullying, discussing everything, you know what I mean, with how it was for me at school because I didn't take it so seriously when I was at school and my education. So they were getting something out of this and realised how, the kids were actually listening to me and every teacher said, oh my God, what you do in an hour, I, I can't even do from nine to three. And it was like, whoa. So um, that was all happening in 2004 and then Rick Glamour got in touch, look, we'd love to do an autobiography. And I was like, what? Whoa, talking about what? My life and I was like, oh. Um, you know what I mean? Obviously, it, what we're going through with me, with God's cancer, with COVID drugs, with COVID homelessness. It was like, I didn't know if I wanted the whole world to know about this. Um, but at the same time, I had to ask permission from my mum because part of that relationship, part of my story, she was involved, played major. So I asked, well, I didn't, I, I told my sister to ask permission for me. And she was up for it. She agreed that, yeah, that how the book came about. Um, I think why everybody related to it, because I, I said it how I told it, and that's how I wanted it to come out. I'm not using fancy words, and I told Rick, so look, Rick, how I'm telling you it is how I want it written. And I think that's how a lot of people related to it. Um, um, I was getting phone calls at two in the morning, Canada, I'm reading your book, I'm in the bath and I can't put the book down. I was like, what? Come on, man, put the book down and have your bath. I said, boy, I go to a chapter and I think, yeah, I'll put it down. And I'm like, no, I need to know what happened after that. He's like, yeah, I, 
it was yeah that was difficult because now you've got people reading your story and thinking oh my god the mental health issues I was having the depressions the cancer the drugs it was like oh my god how are they going to look at me perceive me and you know what I mean that's what it was the thoughts was going through my mind um but yeah I was just being human and being honest about it and I think yeah I was yeah we were shocked that it came about being best book of the sports book of the year that day that yeah it won the team opened a few doors for me um yeah good on them Rick and hindsight I think who was um, headlined, who was the book company that allowed it to come, yeah, come out. Um, for those that may not be aware, you've also got your own foundation. Um, yeah. If people want to sort of find more information about it, please share yeah, about... with us sort of how they can sort of get in touch and perhaps maybe sort of help, 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 yeah. help to the cause. You know what? It's most difficult Um Obviously, that it wasn't easier to say you want to start a foundation. It's quite easy to say, yeah, I do this because of, as such. But I did it for real from my heart. I, I know as a youngster how difficult it was. And I know today's young generation do need the mindset, do need mentor, do need an adult to give them a direction. And because of all that time when adults, my mum was telling me, of what was happening, I didn't listen. And they knew, they truly knew what was going on. And as kids, we just think we know it or we don't. So I understand how it was and the reason why um, I started the foundation. And obviously I was a TA, don't get me wrong, a teacher assistant at primary school for five years. It's only because of my cancer being in remission, I kept getting calls from the kids that, you know what, it knocked me right out because my immune system was low. That made me decide to start the foundation. And it was about the resilience, um, being knocked down. And every time you're being knocked down, to get up and try again. And that was for me. And with these kids, they need that, that help, that assistance. And I think likes of myself, mentors, other ex-players that can give direction to these kids, they do listen. And they just need that direction. So this is what our foundation does um, with regards, because obviously my football background, I go into the schools, you know what I mean, with motivational talks and so forth. Hold, um, for, um, not just for the young boys. I'm now um, ambassador to um, Crime Stoppers and a fearless organisation, which allows the youth to report crime anonymously. Um, I've got to say, not every youth is a criminal. You've got, you know what I mean? People got to know that. And these these kids are really scared. And you know when they, they really want to report a crime, but are feared for the backlash of that, the person or the gangs coming behind them and troubling their family. So this is an organisation that they can report crime anonymously. In other words, you're not a snitch, but you're more like a superhero. Yeah, you want your community back safely. And this is what I believe right now. I'm ambassador for that. I'm pushing that hard. And when I go out to the school and talk to these kids, this is what I need. I need to understand it's not all about gang life. You don't get nowhere with this. I'm getting wrong. You have to think about it. 
and there is a lot of some really good kids out there. So, you know what I mean? To be taught and to give them a direction, I hope to be doing that. And that's what the foundation is about. So we do love to hear from anybody who can come and support if they want to sponsor us. We really do, because it isn't about trying to get money from government. It's difficult. Um, if you know any more, just contact www.poorcannibalfoundation.co.uk. I'll say it again www.poorcannibalfoundation.co.uk. Superb. And we will upload the links to the website. We'll upload links on how to donate and also links to how to get one of your great shirts in regards to Love Chelsea, Hate Race. That's the one. We've also got on the Blue Day podcast as well. So brilliant, by all means, brilliant. we will upload that um, after interviewing today. Just a couple of more questions, Paul, before we do wrap this one up. I want to talk about a particular thing in regards to current events and something that a lot of people got annoyed with over the weekend in particular, but since it's been out, is VAR. And I just want to sort of get your thoughts on the video referees and whether you feel that it's good for the game and if there is anything that you would perhaps tweak, what would it be? It's a difficult one, you know, because, I mean, obviously, uh, being a, a professional player, we didn't have that around at the time and just had to go with the lines and the referee's decision. Um, here you are now with VIR, giving that assistance on the line. And don't get me wrong, you've got to look at it. Sometimes that ball looks heavily. We know it's, it's over the line. And then when you see it is, you see, it does have its advances. But some of it, oh, man, I don't know. Um, how many linesmen do we have down the line that they can't spot this? Obviously, if we can't get in place to watch this. It's a difficult one, man. Even the tackling, that that, that feels like it was just, you could see it was just normal, a gentle tackle in some, you know what I mean? If you see it otherwise, and VAR sees it another way, it's like, oh, there we go, penalty. Yes, fortunate as such good luck comes our way, don't get me wrong, because it doesn't all too often. But um, a difficult one. Um, the game is changing. That's, that's all I'm saying. The game is changing every time. So the FA or the Premiership are going to bring in something new every season to try and better the game. If that's the case, I can't say no more than that. You know what I mean? We can't do no more. Yes, you can appeal as much as you appeal, but this is what's happening. Um, you just got to soak it in and, and, and take it in as it is. Um, and hopefully it doesn't go against our club, you know what I mean? About Chelsea. So that's it for me, how I feel about that. Cool. And as you've mentioned, Chelsea, I want to sort of get your thoughts on the current day Chelsea and where the, the club are at the moment and what Thomas Tuchel has done since he's come to the club nearly a year ago now. European champions, being competitive in the Premier League, got some very good talent coming through, the likes of Mount and James, and even a certain Conor Gallagher now that's still part of Chelsea, is doing really well at Palace. What's your thoughts on the current day Chelsea, Paul? Man, you know what? We've got one of the best academies in the world. Um, right, so, well, good. He runs the youth academy. I keep forgetting his name. I'm terrible with that. But um, these young lads are coming through, like some Matt, said James Thomas, um, Zotis, 
And uh, you know what? I'm I'm be honest, Steve, we'd be playing with these lads if I could play now. It'd be such a blessing, don't get me wrong. Um, to come through that stage in your life as well. As a youngster as I was starting at twenty, you know what I mean? But these lads are from eighteen years old and looking so well, strong, and that they you know what I mean, deserve to be in the team and playing in the premiership. Um Thomas, the manager, is done so great. And that's what happens when, as I said before, when you play for a manager like John Neal, they obviously respect this Thomas and play for him just as much. Um, and he's getting the best out of them. Um, you can see, don't get me wrong, we have a big squad. Yes, sometimes you think, all right, he changes it around, it doesn't help, but he's got such a big squad. You know what I mean? It's just like two first team 11 that you're trying to give everybody a game. And that sometimes that you might not get the results that we should get. And we get upset about it. Oh man, why didn't you keep the team and such and such? But you know what? He knows what he's doing. Um, and the players respect that. Um, and from where we are now, all I say is that we stopped leaking in goals. We scored more goals and stopped leaking in goals. That's where we stage are. But um, at the moment, it's looking good. It really is. And it's great to be a Chelsea supporter, most definitely at this moment of time. So, yeah, good stuff. And final question, Paul, from me. How do you look back on your Chelsea career? And would you ever imagine that the 21-year-old Paul would look on it and think, a few years' time, I'm going to have a suite named after me at Chelsea? You know what? Um, yes, an honour. Yes, recognised. Um, having a sweep, still look at it and going in there and meeting the fans, you know what I mean, and recognising who I am. It's in a great honour. It's a legend, legendary, as I'm told. Um, for my family, don't get me wrong, it's really big for them as well um, to be added to the history. Chelsea most definitely and um, may it continue don't get me wrong I, I love it and you know what people still ask me why would you still support a club that you know what I mean treated you such now you live in London and as much as I yes the people don't know I did support Leeds United but I never ever went to Ellen Road but here I was given the opportunity to play for London clubs like Chelsea I had to start supporting them and I continue to support them. So, um, days have been great. Um, I continue to do the work I do because I enjoy what I do with regards to my foundation. And if it's just Chelsea, then it's all good. And it's just the fans, then it's all good. Um, I'll keep doing that. All I ask is for their support. And that's all I can do. Well, you're certainly going to get the support from the Blue Day podcast, that is for sure. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. And also, as it's our final interview of 2021, this has been a real treat. So, Paul, thank you very much for your time no problem, this man. afternoon. Thank you, man. Hey, well done, Keith. Do keep doing what you're doing, man. All right. Sports Social Podcast Network.